morning. Good to be with all of you. Good to be here in Houston. And uh, good to be with all of you on Zoom. Thank you for being here. And I was here last six months ago. I can't believe it's uh, been six months. And uh, it's just wonderful to be back. And, and I, I thank you all for being here. I thank you all for your practice. I thank my teacher for the wisdom and support. And uh, everyone who, uh, who is supporting all of the work we're doing. And I, and I think uh, our wonderful group in, in Tuscaloosa that uh, supports me and supports each other in our practice. So, so I, um, I thought it might be interesting today to talk a little bit about um, something from the Lojong, which is one of my favorite teachings. And I, and I just keep coming back to it over and over again. Um, you know, it's that time of year when uh, the university students are about to have their um, final exams. So they're um, quietly freaking out. <laughs> and it's that time of year when uh, all the rest of the school children are, are getting ready uh, to have, to have uh, papers due and exams. And um, so uh, I have, I have a, this point from the Lojong really on my mind right now as I'm um, uh, trying to support our students uh, in, in, their, in their endeavors. And that is the point of assess and extend. So um, the Lojong is this uh, wonderful uh, uh, Tibetan Buddhist um, mind training program. Uh, so we have uh, all these programs we can sign up for these days. We can uh, sign up to improve our diet, to, uh, to, to get stronger, faster. And, uh, and we think that's very modern, but that the, uh, this ancient Tibetan Buddhist mind training program uh, was around long before all of that. And it consists of these 59 slogans that you work with um, that, are, that are separated into seven different uh, main teaching points. And so one of those teaching points is called assess and extend. And um, uh, it sounds a little intimidating at first, like, oh, I have to assess myself? You're asking me to give myself a grade? It's kind of where our minds may originally go. Um, and uh, uh, so I'm going to be talking a little bit about the translation of uh, the Lojong that was done by Norman Fisher, who is uh, a, a wonderful Zen teacher and in our lineage. And um, uh, Norman's uh, uh, approach to the Lojong is very down to earth and practical and uh, uh, kind. And so he brings that kind mind to this idea of assess and extend. He talks a little bit about that his, his wife was teaching middle school and the students would get so 
nervous about um, grading um, and turning in exams. And he said, but from but from Kathy's point of view, from her point of view, she she wasn't judging the students. She she just wanted them wanted to understand where they were with their skills, so she would know how to help them and and how they could improve. And so he encourages us to bring that approach to this to this point of assess and extend. So how are where are we in our practice? And what's going well? Where are we having challenges? And uh, what do we do next? Um, and uh, so he, he encourages us to try to avoid middle school mind where we're worried about grades. So just so let's all just let go of middle school mind. And instead, today we're going to talk some about this idea of, of assessing our own practice just to see where it is and then where we can extend that. Um, and, uh, and so the first point in, uh, of, of, these, of these four slogans that are, that are in the assess and extend section, uh, the first slogan is called, there's only one point. There's only one point, which sounds kind of mysterious. Uh, and, and what that point is, is that we need to open up and not just be focused on ourselves. Open up, remember that there's interdependence and interconnection and uh, that, that we're just a tiny part of the whole world. Um, so, so that's the first point, open up. So, so how, how do we approach that from, why is that in the assess and extend section? It's a, it's a reminder to us at, at any moment to, to, to check in with ourselves, to check in even with our, with our bodies and say, am I, am I pulling inward? Am I tight? Am I uh, in a protective, uh, fearful posture? Can I, can I open up? Can I really be here with, with peaceful forest and with my day and, and get out of myself? So, so uh, Norman uh, says in this section, uh, don't, uh, don't get so stuck on yourself. See if you can unstick yourself a little bit. So I had an interesting experience on the way here. I usually drive, but this time I flew. And so um, I had uh, uh, gone Southwest Airlines. You have to, you know, uh, check in 24 hours before to find your place in line, which is going to allow you to find a seat on the airplane and uh, try to get a good one, all of those things. Um, so I ended up on the very last row of the airplane and I got into my middle seat and I, uh, I'm sorry, my, my window seat. And I thought, this isn't gonna be too bad. I'm in the window seat and, uh, and surely there won't be that many people on the plane. And then um, two gentlemen, uh, uh, a man and his son, uh, very large burly men came and sat down next to me. So, so this uh, son who was uh, built like a football player was in the middle seat. And then his father who was built like a slightly older football player <laughs> was in that aisle seat. And, uh, and this was a really good time 
to have the slogan. <laughs> Open up. Don't get so stuck on yourself. There's only one point. So I could look at the situation from my point of view, which is, oh, I thought I was going to have the middle seat open and I thought I was going to be comfortable. Woe is me. I had to get up so early to get to the airport. Or can I turn that a little bit and think about this young man next to me who is much larger than I am and he's in that middle seat um, and his father next to him who is having to sit like this because you know what the drinks cart does uh, take off your elbow <laughs> every time it goes by. And so they were both sitting there like this and it was really helpful to be continually every time that I felt a little scrunched and his arm was up in my space to be like, yeah, but let's just move this perspective just a little bit to the left. How is it for, for these men? They're not comfortable either. They're more uncomfortable. Um, so it was a really, really helpful practice in that moment. Um, and it was an also, also an, uh, an interesting opportunity to assess and extend my own practice because um, I remembered a similar situation uh, from a few years back, and I did not feel inside nearly as um, accepting. Uh, felt much more like, why me? Why me? For the entire flight. Um, and either way is fine. Uh, the important thing with assess and extend is not that we have to notice what's happening and then say, this is bad. We need to change it. We're just noticing, just noticing. Oh, that's interesting. Isn't that interesting? This is where the practice is right now. This is where my edge is. This is what I can work with. Um, so uh, a really wonderful uh, mantra there to, to work with. Um, and I wanted to... Uh, read just a little bit from... Norman, Norman's description here. He says, um, think about it. You're living in a big world with lots going on, many problems, many challenges, sad things, happy things. All of this is your sphere of life. It's the ocean you swim in, the air you breathe. You are not separate from it for even a moment. Why would you want to artificially, conceptually remove yourself from life's great ocean and lock yourself up in the tiny prison of self in which, despite your best efforts, you constantly feel confined and under attack. The whole of the practice comes down to this. Stop being so stuck on yourself. Let go of that and open up. Think of others. Try to do something to make them happy. Anything, something small. So, we're all connected. This is just one little part this experience right here. So how can we experience that, that connection? How can we let go of that illusion of separation? That's what, that's what this um, uh, slogan is reminding us to do. Um, this uh, this uh, slogan also, that idea of um, letting go of separation can lead to really interesting 
experiences. So I ended up talking to these two gentlemen next to me. They were on their first uh, airplane trip ever. <laughs> so that is how they ended up in the seats next to me, uh, was that they did not know you had to check in early. And they were literally the last people on the plane and um, had no idea what was going to happen when they needed to make their connection to Chicago. Um, and so the stewardess stood on one side of them and I was sitting on the other and we talked with them about how, how the whole system worked. And, um, and then I got to know them and it was, it was really wonderful. Um, and it turned out the father had worked in security and he said, are you a professor? <laughs> I said, yes, and I said, I know how to read people. <laughs> so that was fascinating. Um, and only happened because we were able to drop that separation. And, and then all of a sudden it was the three of us, right? Like like we're buddies, like we, you know, it's it's our bench. We're together. So we feel all connected. Um, and the other thing about that quote from Norman that I really like is he said, you know, it can be small, something small. And so I want to think about that for a second as well, um, that um, small things can really make a difference. And this is such an important point when it comes to um, assessing, because if we want to um, engage in some kind of self-improvement, some kind of quality improvement, it turns out that uh, there's a very consistent finding from the habit research that you want to start small and that small things really do matter. So um, if you want to start a new push-up habit, you might think, well, I want to be able to do uh, 50 push-ups, so tonight I'm going to start with 20. And maybe you do 20, and then maybe the next day you do 20, and then maybe you're sore, so you're not feeling so good, and then you get busy, and so the next night you don't do them at all, and then you yourself, oh, you got to do better. You need some self-discipline. You need to buckle down. And then maybe you get 15 done the next day. And all of a sudden, you're just not doing them at all. So there are a couple things going on there. One is um, you may have, that, that may have been more push-ups than your body was ready for. The other part of that is that you kind of surrounded this um, new endeavor with bad feelings. Um, you were really treating yourself Partially. Um, and so one of the nice things about starting small is it it's um, easier to do and then you can build up a little momentum that feels good um, and it's so kind to yourself. So um, so there there's some really interesting research where um, a, a habit teacher taught people to just start with three push ups. So. Uh, the word he used was start stupid small. <laughs> so just start with three push-ups. Start with something that isn't hard at all. And then you can build on to that. And so you're never feeling like you're overstretched. Um, so I really love this idea of starting small with our practice too. Um, uh, with opening up, you know, I um, uh, if I had felt... Uh, if I'd had a little less sleep, if I'd been a little bit more stressed out, I might not have uh, honestly been able to get up the gumption to, to talk to the two gentlemen next to me. 
And maybe I would just instead say, well, let me just do something small. Let me just imagine what it's like for this other guy and send, send some good thoughts his way. That would have been small and it would have been meaningful. It probably would have opened me up a little bit and maybe he wouldn't consciously know, but it probably would have shifted something a little bit. So start where you are and know that the smallest thing can really help. Um, uh, one last thing I want to say about that is that we can really bring our bodies into the practice as we're trying to change. And so you can work with your body um, when it comes to trying to convince yourself that small things really matter. Um, so uh, what's it like to just take one breath? Just try that a few times today. Just take one breath and see if you can notice anything that shifts inside yourself with just one breath. Um, so, so look for what's the smallest uh, difference I can detect from some small thing. Um, after I read this habit research and in my professional life, I'm trying to, to work with nursing home staff to get them to do things differently to improve uh, care in their in their organizations. And organizational change is hard, just like individual change is hard. And so we've been teaching them this idea too of keep it bite-sized, let's start small, let's do small things. And um, and sometimes the teams say, oh well that small thing that that you're suggesting, that's too small. That's not going to make a difference. Um, so have you ever have you ever felt like that? Like somebody has told you, well, keep it reasonable, and then and then the the goal that's being suggested just doesn't actually feel that exciting. Like, oh, that's not enough. It's not enough. No, I need to do those 20 push-ups. I need to do 50 push-ups, 100 squats tonight. Three is not enough. Um, so uh, so one thing we started playing with is is just practicing keeping it small just to practice keeping it small, which is very much like our practice, right? That we're just, we're practicing because the more we practice, the, the, um, the, the more skillful we get. Um, and so we've been playing with some different kinds of uh, small practices. Uh, so I chose as keeping it small, um, working on my cuticles. My, my mother has always told me, if you push back your cuticles, then you won't get hangnails. Never in my entire life have, we, have I been able to do this. I just couldn't do it consistently. So I said, I will do um, one finger on each hand each day. <laughs> one finger on each hand each day. That's all I will do. So I, I even, I made a plan. So the Pinkies on Fridays, <laughs> ring fingers on Thursdays, um, uh, thumbs on Sundays, and pointer fingers on Monday on on uh, Tuesdays. Yes, pointer fingers on Tuesdays. So um, I actually have no hangnails now. It's amazing. And every time I go to take a shower is when I do this, and it really has like gotten into my body. Oh yeah, this little thing has made a huge difference, and it was so easy to do. took took no time, took no effort. Um, so there's only one point, and the point is to let go, not be stuck on yourself, open up, 
And we can do that starting in even very small ways. So the, the second slogan is trust your own eyes. And, um, uh, and so one of the things that we need to do in Assess and Extend is ask ourselves, what's the evidence? What's the evidence for how things are going? And, um, uh, and, and, and so isn't this interesting? Here we're saying, don't get stuck on yourself, but now we're saying, trust yourself. Um, so I love that about the Lojong. It's always asking us to hold things that are seeming opposites but aren't really opposites is that, is that they actually work together. Um, so uh, the, the, um, the original translation of this uh, was of the two witnesses hold the principal one, your view being the principal one. So not the other person's view, but your view. And the idea here is that um, uh, even when we want to, uh, here, the uh, perspectives and views of others as we're working on um, our practice, at the end of the day, we're the ones who have to evaluate what others tell us. We're the ones who have to act with that. So we have to trust ourselves. We have to hold the view of the principal one uh, most, most uh, importantly. That's what we act on. Um, and uh, uh, I uh, remember um, Louise, who's on Zoom there, telling me once the name of this book, which was something like, um, What Others Think About Me is None of My Business. <laughs> and um, I really loved the title of that book, found it so helpful. And, um, and and you might keep that in mind when playing with this slogan. So, so this is about your evaluation of where you are. Only you know your own bandwidth. Only you know what, where your edge is, what is, what is challenging enough and what is too much. And, uh, and, and that's what you need to trust. Norman also reminds us that um, this uh, principal witness, uh, this principal one, is the part of you that is not uh, judgmental and harsh. So it's the part of you that loves yourself, that accepts yourself as you are. Maybe, maybe that's your Buddha nature. Um, and so we have that part in ourselves that is, is critical and is harsh that's not the part we're listening to here. We're listening to the part that's, that, that says, it's okay, it's okay. Um, Natalie Goldberg, uh, who is a Zen practitioner and um, a wonderful author, um, calls that part of herself the sweetheart. So she says um, that it's important as a writer to let go of that inner critic, to not let that inner critic censor you and so she thinks of the inner critic on one shoulder and her sweetheart on the other shoulder. Her sweetheart says, that's okay. That's okay, sweetie. You're doing great. <laughs> so, so that's the part that we are, we are amplifying and we're learning from and we're listening to with the, with the slogan, with trust, trust your own eyes. So um, 
The other thing I want to say about that is as we ask, um, what is the evidence? We need to get really good with, um, sorry, I'm having trouble with my paper here. That I'm assessing, I'm extending. All right. Got to figure it out there. Um, when you're observing, when you're when you're in this place of watching yourself, um, uh, trusting your own eyes, start with just observing. Don't feel like you have to act first. Don't feel like you have to come up with a solution. Um, and in fact, when you are not sure what the solution should be, the best thing to do is to just observe. Um, and this reminds me very much of um, a quote by uh, Koto Sawaki, who is a, a, a wonderful Zen teacher and um, was the teacher of uh, Shohaku Akamura, who is uh, 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 teaching in Indiana now and uh, Dogen scholar and author. Um, so Koto Sawaki uh, says, um, what is Zazen good for? What is Zazen good for? Absolutely nothing. This good for nothing has got to sink into your flesh and bones until you're truly practicing what's good for nothing. Until then, your Zazen is really good for nothing. Let me read that again. <laughs> What is Zazen good for? Absolutely nothing. This good for nothing has got to sink into your flesh and bones until you're truly practicing what's good for nothing. Until then, your Zazen is really good for nothing. So um, Shohaku Akamura uh, has a really nice video on YouTube where he, he talks a little bit about this quote. Um, and, uh, and I recommend it. It's nice to watch. Um, and he says that what his teacher was saying here is to let go of gaining idea, that there's no gaining idea. So, so we, we come and we sit, we're on the cushion, and we're letting go of trying to gain anything, trying to be any different. We're, we're just working on being. Um, and I think that's very, very similar to this idea of just observe, just observe without trying to come up with solution, without trying to, to grasp or make things a different way. Um, and paradoxically, that's actually when things will start moving and when you have a sense of, of a solution, of a different way of doing things. So, so. So here we are on the cushion doing something that's really helpful for improvement. Ironically, as we say, we're doing this and it's good for nothing. And we're just doing this without gaining idea. Um, so we're holding those, holding those together. Um, Kodoswaki also says, um, they think uh, that with Zazen, everything gets better. How foolish Zazen means for getting better or worse. So, so we're here today and we're talking about assess and extend, but I'm also going to say uh, that um, Zazen means for getting better or worse. So we've got to do this work with our, with our hands fully open you know, so we're not grasping at any particular um, 
way of, of moving forward. Um, I've been reading a really interesting book on um, political polarization in the nation right now uh, by, a, by a very interesting conflict uh, resolution researcher. His name is Peter Coleman. And uh, this book's called No Way Out. And I've been thinking a lot about polarization and how this divide is, is really getting so large between uh, conservatives and liberals. And uh, one of the things that um, Peter Coleman talks about in this book is that um, uh, the, the science philosopher Karl Popper says um, there are two kinds of problems. There are clock problems and there are cloud problems. And you get into trouble when you try to bring a clock solution to a cloud problem. And what he really meant by that was uh, there are problems where the causes and effects are very clear and controllable. A leads to B, B leads to C. And there are other problems where there are many, many causes and effects and everything swirled together. And you don't know if you change A, if B is going to change or B and C and D and E and Z are going to change. You're not, you're not sure. Um, and so Peter Coleman was talking about this because he was saying political polarization is one of these cloud problems and we keep trying to bring clock solutions to it. As I was reading this, I was thinking Zazen is a cloud solution. When we come and we sit on the cushion and we let go of gaining idea, we're doing something very powerful and we're letting go of the idea that we have a particular solution that's definitely going to lead us in a particular way as we do that. So good for nothing. And very effective. <laughs> very effective. And, uh, and an important step in helping us really um, uh, deeply study cause and effect. So I'm going to speed up a little bit here and say that the third uh, slogan uh, in this area of assess and maintain is uh, assess and extend is maintain joy and um, don't lose your sense of humor. And you might wonder why maintain joy uh, in, in, a, in a section about assess. And Norman Fisher says, well, we have to stop and ask, are we experiencing joy? And, and truly just ask that in a very curious way. If we're not, that's okay. Uh, but let's notice both so we can notice when the joy is happening and also when there's not joy and we just need to um, be very clear on how things are and, and turn and face them and not try to avoid those times when things are tough and, and we're, when we're not experiencing something positive. Um, so I think that's very helpful. And I want to throw in there that um, another thing about joy is that our practice makes us uh, more and more sensitive to detecting joy. Um, which is lovely. So we're slowing down, we're sitting every day and we start noticing smaller and smaller units of joy and they have a deeper effect on us. So, um, so that really does help us maintain joy. 
And that's helpful with this idea of, of um, uh, quality improvement, of self-improvement, because it turns out that positive emotions really allow us to um, work more effectively and do more. Um, and yet we don't notice them. So, so uh, one neuro neuropsychologist puts that as um, our brains are like Velcro for the bad and, and Teflon for the good. So the good just slides right off. We don't remember all the awesome things that happen. We just remember the negative things, um, which uh, probably was very good when we were cave people, but it's not particularly helpful now. Um, so part of maintain joy can also be noticing when the good things happen so we can get that uplift, uh, uh, take advantage of that energy uh, to move forward. Um, there's also some really interesting humor research that um, uh, after age six, we fall off a humor cliff. So um, children before age six laugh about 300 times a day. <laughs> and then ask yourself when the last time you had a good belly laugh voice. Um, and so adults are reporting that they that they have a good laugh like once a day. So 300 times a day, and then we have this humor cliff, and then one time a day. Um, and so this is also good medicine that we can we can uh, be be seeking out for ourselves. Um, so there's a cartoon I really like, and it's a student sitting with a with a teacher, um, much like I'm sitting here with my teacher. And the student says, um, oh, teacher, um, it, uh, is it acceptable for me to send emails? And the teacher says, only if they don't have attachments. <laughs> <laughs> so, so a little bit of, a little bit of humor. <laughs> the, um, the final uh, slogan is practice when you are distracted, practice when you are distracted. Mm -hmm. So we keep, we need to maintain some self-discipline and keep going. We, we sit on the cushion, even on those days when we really don't want to. Um, and, uh, and the important thing here, again, is to do that in a loving way so that we are, we are um, working, we are practicing while distracted while we hold that second slogan also of um, uh, listening to the principal witness of ourselves. So, um, so we, we hold ourselves um, to work at our edge and to challenge ourselves, but we also don't push ourselves beyond our bandwidth. So one of the really interesting things that happened to me right after Right after I left Houston in uh, November, had such a wonderful um, visit with all of you. And then we had this amazing retreat out at a suspicious cloud west. And, um, and, and uh, Tension Rev was with us. And uh, it was great. And then I drove home. And then the next day I sat down to work. And I went to turn uh, to get something off of this table. And something in my back popped. Um, and I was uh, in, it had to go into physical therapy. I'm still in physical therapy. I was in um, quite a bit of back pain for um, uh, several months there. 
And one of the things I did with that idea of practice while you're distracted, um, when you're distracted and hold that principal witness uh, is that I reassessed my bandwidth and I said, you know what, getting up and getting on the cushion uh, uh, on the, on the um, Zoom at 630 in the morning is just not going to happen right now. And so I created this new practice that I called bed meditation. And, uh, and so for whatever reason, being flat on my back worked the best to have less pain. And I knew I just only had so many hours that I could be up and moving when I wasn't flat on my back. And so I would get this heating pad and three times a day, I would lie down and I would meditate on my bed. Um, and, uh, so it was very different, um, I'm still doing it in the morning when I wake up because it's kind of nice. So, so I'm now at the point where I can get up and I can uh, sit sometimes on a cushion and then I sit sometimes on a chair. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, lying down is one of those noble postures that we can do meditation in. So, um, so uh, meeting ourselves where we are and being kind to ourselves really important in in this work. Well, I think I'm going to stop there. That is some ideas on the Zen of quality improvement, we'll call it. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to work on Practicing while distracted, maintain joy uh, of the two witnesses, hold the principal one, and then and then that first slogan we talked about is open up, don't get so stuck on yourself. So, so uh, I look forward to all of us working on those together, and uh, appreciate being with you today. Thank you all.